And welcome back to the Music Free Static Podcast. I'm your host, Pearl Stalker, and we are back today with a really late movie review. That's right. This is a hopefully an ongoing series of movies that I want to talk about, but didn't get to see in theaters, and so I'm finally getting around to watching. And yeah, so if you're looking for timely movie reviews, this is not the place. But today I want to talk about the movie Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. And you know, this this dropped on Disney Plus a couple of weeks ago as you're hearing this. It was it was a lot of fun. It was just straight up. For those of you who want the TLDR, I liked it. It was fun. It was not amazing, but it was fun. Okay, so that said, <laughs> let's I'm going to dive in. I'm going to nitpick this a little bit. Actually, I'm going to nit, nitpick this a lot. And some of the nits are really easy to pick. So we'll uh, just go with me here. But know that as I'm going through some of the things I, I didn't like and stuff, I really did enjoy Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. So if you have get nothing else out of this, it was fun. It was worth seeing. But it wasn't perfect in any means. I will say it was a beautiful movie. Okay. I loved most of the CGI. I most, loved most of the world that they created. I've heard people say, oh, it's too much. It's too much. The Quantum Realm is supposed to be a completely fantastic world that looks nothing like what what we have here on Earth. Okay, they're on Earth, just really tiny. But in our normal world, right, you're not, I'm not expecting to see pine trees or things like that in in their fantasy quantum world, right? And what they built there was beautiful. And most of, this, most of the uh, environments I really liked. Um, my understanding is they filmed a lot of this using ILM's stagecraft. And it was, th- this is exactly what stagecraft is good for. For those of you who've never heard of stagecraft, this is what's often referred to as the volume. They use it extensively on The Mandalorian and in Loki. But... It's great. It's just this big dome with with very, very high-def screens that they can project the world around them, around, you know, around the actors, and film the backgrounds and the actors and everything with a lot less green screen or blue screen than you would see, like, from the uh, Star Wars prequel movies, okay? And it was great. Most of the CGI was really, really good. But where it wasn't really, really felt bad, okay? There were a number of shots, often of the ant people running, whether it was Scott Lang or Cassie, you see them running, and it just looked wrong. Whether they CG'd the actors in, and the running was just funky, or or the world that they built around them while they were running, some of that looked really bad. And there's a sequence, it was in the trailer, and the sequence is a whole swarm of Ant-Men lifting Scott up into the the big magical MacGuffin multidimensional engine or whatever it was to be able to fix it for Kang. Okay. And this is it's actually a really cool link in some ways to certain types of ants, that will build towers of their own bodies to raise up other ants to do things, okay? 
really cool as a concept. The CG, the whole thing looked kind of bad. Now, honestly, I have no idea what it would look like to see 18 trillion Scott Langs lifting up another Scott Lang to go do the thing. But this just looked really, really fake. And, I, and I'm okay with things looking fake in, to some extent, right? I, <laughs> but I watch Doctor Who. If you want something that looks really fake, that is the place to go. But that sequence was, was really, really bad. Aside from that and a few, a few other things here and there, um, most of the action scenes were actually really good. I, I there is a there is a scene, and by the way, this is full spoilers for those of you who are a little worried about not having seen Ant Man and the Wasp. It's out on Disney Plus now. It's out on video. And I said as as this goes live, it'll have been out for a couple of weeks. At this point, I'm not too concerned. If you have, need to go see it, feel free to pause this and come back. Anyway, <laughs> most of the action scenes are cool. There is a there's an action scene early. They end up at the quantum realm. Janet takes charge because she lived there for 30 years. Wonderful. And Michelle Pfeiffer did some amazing work as Janet Van Dyne in this uh, in, in this movie. It was Her performance was one of the best parts of this movie. But they show up in, in the quantum realm. She takes them to a bar. It's not quite the wretched hive of scum and villainy that you would get from Star Wars, but it's, it's definitely one of those places that's a little rough, but... This is where she knows she can make contact with an old friend, right? That type of thing. And her old friend is played by Bill Murray. I like Bill Murray. I've liked him in, in a, not many of his roles, but he's one of those actors that he kind of only has like three different characters that he can do, <laughs> right? And none of them I felt were appropriate for, was it Kylar? Krylar? He just never, never felt the seriousness of of the threat that he posed when he was stabbing them in the back. He he did feel a little slimy, which I think was part of the charm, I suppose. But he never really felt like a threat. He just felt like he's a slimy guy who talks big and can't back it up. And so I never really felt like he was a, this big important dude that that they would need to. You know, so again, I'm I'm not maybe I'm I'm saying I'm not disparaging Bill Murray as an actor, but maybe I am. I don't know. Not that I could do better. But if you've seen my improv, you know acting is not my on my high list of uh, skills. Once everything goes south there, that shootout was fun. As everyone starts figuring out what's what's going on. That battle was great. Um, the final battle with Kang, Hank Pym shows up. And it is this, it is an epic entrance. And it is, you've got Michael Douglas as Hank Pym, the original Ant-Man, right? original in the world, even though we've only really known Scott as Ant-Man. And he comes walking in like he is the toughest guy in the world, right? And he is just sauntering in as these hordes of giant ants basically start ripping Kang's universe apart. Or his army, anyway. <laughs> that that entrance was epic. The ants... The How do, how do I talk about the I have a problem with the ants, okay? The movie starts with a shot of an ant farm, and not immediately, but you see this ant farm, and they're talking about the ant farm, and they've got, the ants themselves have this tech, and, and it's, all, all you know of the tech is they've got lights on their heads, okay, whatever. And somebody makes a, a comment that 
they didn't do anything. The, the ants invented the tech themselves, which is kind of silly because ants aren't that smart, but okay, whatever. Well, they get sucked into the quantum realm. You get wonderful shots of the, the ant family, you know, Lang and Cassie and, you know, Hope and all those people getting sucked into the quantum whirlwind. And you get shots of random equipment getting sucked in, all that, all the stuff that you would expect to see to heighten tension of, ooh, magic vortex is sucking them in. Ooh, ah, run, run. But you also see the ant farm get sucked in and you see it break and you see all of the little ants. And you see a number of them just sort of wink out with the Ant-Man style effect. They show up again in the quantum realm as everything else there does. But apparently the, these ants, not our heroes, but just these ants, got sucked into a time pocket where their civilization lived thousands of years or tens of thousands of years or some, some ridiculously large number. And they developed this high-tech civilization. I fully expected the ants to play a role. It is Ant-Man, right? We really haven't seen Ant-Man do a lot with ants since Ant-Man 2. Did we even really see him do anything other than maybe ride an ants in Ant-Man 2? I don't know. Drop a comment or something. Let me know. But we certainly don't see him go all, let's ride this insect in any of the other appearances of Ant-Man in Captain America, in the Avengers Infinity War or Endgame. No, we didn't see any of that. It's just, of course, he wasn't in Infinity War. But, you know, still, yeah, fully expected ants to show up. But it really felt like this deus ex machina of just, we don't know how to give our heroes an army big enough or strong enough to fight Kang. Oh, let's just make the ants super powered and, and unstoppable. Okay, it worked, but that felt really awkward there are a couple of other choices like i never quite understood why they kept removing their helmets right it's one thing it's like okay we, w let's have this big talking scene no helmet fine okay cool going to action helmet on cool that makes perfect sense but there were a couple of times in a couple of different action scenes they'd have action helmets on rocking kicking bad guy butt and then they throw back their head the helmet would come off they'd say two lines to each other nod and their helmets come back on and back into the action really <laughs> you can't see say those two lines with your helmet on it just didn't make sense with the seemingly constant on off in weird situations it was just just one of those things kind of it kind of threw me off i need to talk about a couple of things but let's talk modok i don't have any history with modok the most I've seen of MODOK that I can remember was in Phineas and Ferb. Okay. Phineas and Ferb did a Marvel crossover. MODOK was one of the villains. Okay. You know, I have no, I don't care about MODOK as a, as a character. And after this movie, I still don't. I thought it was kind of fun to tie in, um, so Darren Cross, who was the villain in the first movie. It's like, okay, cool. He, uh, you know, gets turned into this uh, killing machine. Awesome. Insane. Still wonderful. Except for the fact that he just looked really cheesy. Really cheesy. It's like, I've had nachos without as much cheese as they poured on MODOK. But the issues, I, 
I had is not with the fact that he just looked wrong. I mean, I, I've seen heads and jars that look convincing. The face of Bode in Doctor Who actually, I think, looked better than Modoc. Okay. Not that the face of Bode had to uh, move around and be an unstoppable killing machine, but Modoc wasn't. <laughs> you know, when he's got when he's all armored up, sure. But when he's not, it just looks bad. Some of that may just be uncanny valley nonsense going on. That's fair. But his face just looked stupid and wrong. It may just be because the actor, maybe the actor just looks stupid and wrong. I, I don't know. Uh, sorry, that was mean. I apologize. They make this whole, this whole deal about him being loyal to Kang. But of course, Kang treats him like, like garbage, like a tool, really, who needs to shut up and sit down and look pretty. There's a point in the movie where he, it's towards the, the climax. Everything is going down. Modok shows up to help stop the, everything and Cassie has to face Modok and through various ways she sort of beats him down a bit but then she like talks to him it's like Darren why are you doing this I don't know I don't know what I'm supposed to be I'm a loser it's like I never quite got that cross throughout all of his um through his whole arc in Ant-Man 1 was this really egotistical Jerk. That's not to say that people can't get over being an egotistical jerk, okay? As a recovering jerk myself, I'm hoping to overcome jerkness. But Cross went from, I hate you and everything about you and look what you've made me, and to, I don't want to be a jerk. Why do I have to be a jerk? It's like, it was the stupidest thing. You know, it just didn't makes sense for Cassie to say oh you don't have to be a jerk oh okay and then him riding in to help fight Kang at the end just felt really forced um out of character that might be more of the case you know I'm perfectly fine with Cassie defeating him given how he terrorized her in her bedroom when she was six her getting a little uh, payback is is kind of cool, right? I just did not believe Modoc's character at, at that point. The last thing that really bugs me about Ant-Man, sorry, that, that I did not mean to dive into that pun, uh, but it's there now. This movie is called Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Okay, I'm going to say that title again. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. And the Wasp. I'm not entirely sure the Wasp needed to be in this movie. Not because Hope isn't an, an integral part of the family. She does show up to uh, save Scott at the, at the end. But the character of Hope Van Dyne seems really wasted in some ways. The way the story is set up, you've got the family that splits in two. Scott and Cassie go one way. And as part of their trials, they get this father-daughter bonding moment they may not have played everything well but the concept is really cool because you've got scott who missed a lot of cassie's childhood because he was in prison you've got scott who's missed a lot of cassie's adolescence because he spent five years or more in the quantum realm her time for him was like five hours but 
trapped in the quantum realm during the whole, um, during the snap, right? You see him, the end of Ant-Man 2, they're conducting an experiment. He goes to the quantum realm and everybody gets dusted while he's there. Okay, and then he pops out and that story progresses. So he's missed a lot of Cassie's life. So for him to now reconnect with Cassie and some of the discussions of now, he's been living off his fame of having fought Thanos, but not really doing much else other than promoting a book and some other self-help type stuff, right? It kind of, Scott actually has the feel of, like, if you get a, a like a Super Bowl MVP or some, some big sports hero, we'll put hero in quotes, but some, a really famous uh, athlete, who they can't play anymore, but so they go around and they they give uh, motivational speeches and all of that type of thing. It's kind of the same feel for Scott. Well, Cassie um, sort of gets on him for that. She says, "Hey, you are a hero. Why are you not doing hero things anymore? You're just living off your fame." And you know she's been trying to actually help people in her way. All right, so. That story is, is sort of interesting, and that's kind of what prompts Scott to then really become more involved with the problems that are happening in the quantum realm. Great story. The side with Hope, though, is sort of... She plays one role here, which is interesting character-wise. The other plot is... Or the other group is Hank Pym, Hope Van Dyne, and Janet Van Dyne. And part of what you've got is Janet and Hank really coming to grips with what happened in the 30 years that they were apart. They both know that they've seen other people, Janet perhaps more, I would say, enthusiastically. <laughs> but you know, they had separate lives, and they're trying to reconcile that as they've come back together. You also have the same thing with Hope and Janet. Hope is trying to get to know her mom. And, hey, you've been gone 30 years. Let's open up. Let's talk. Let's bond. Let's regrow this relationship. And Janet doesn't quite want to tell her family what she was doing in the quantum realm because, you know, it was it was a rough life. It's like soldiers coming back from war and don't not wanting to talk about their experiences because of trauma or whatever. And so they're having to face all of this head on. Okay, great. But most of that character development, most of that coming back together is Hope and Hank. Or not Hope and Hank, Janet and Hank. Husband and wife reconnected. Hope gets a little bit of it, but for the most part, she's just a passenger. And she shows up a couple of times to save Scott. She saves him when he's doing the, the ant pyramid thing to get the MacGuffin for, for Kang. She swoops in to save him again when he has a, his one-on-one -on -one fight with Kang. They, you know, and they open the portal to go home, and he is kind of stuck. She sw swoops back in to save him. Great. But it never felt like Hope had any actual, an actual character arc herself. Never felt like she was, she always felt like she was part of the scenery or one of the side characters. As much as 
the dude with the laser head or the goo being they drink so that they can uh, understand everybody, which was kind of clever, by the way. Sort of like the babble fish, but anyway, um, in some ways, some of those characters or the generic barbarian woman who was uh, leading the rebellion, they all had about as much character development as Hope did. She felt very underused. Now, there have been talks of giving Hope sort of a separate Wasp-focused movie. I think that would be cool, but she did almost nothing here. And I would really like to have seen Hope do more. You got a lot of, of Cassie, and I think this is fairly common with what we've been seeing in, in Marvel movies recently of the rising generation of heroes, uh, especially in Hawkeye with... Uh, Kate Bishop is the new, basically becoming Hawkeye. You've got Cassie. You've got Kate. Boy, there have been a, a number of others that you're starting to see these these youngers. Um, Ironheart in, in Black Panther, right? Taking on the, what was the Iron Man role. Not to mention, um, boy, I'm, I'm blanking on names, but the new Black Panther herself. Um, again, you've got a bunch of these young heroes stepping up this is one more one more step along that path i think and so as we start coming back to avengers we're going to see i think all of these younger heroes as the avengers because most of the original avengers are not really around aside from the two that are actively dead it's going to be kind of interesting to see now again that said i spent a lot of time talking about the things i didn't like this about the movie um, I, there was a lot of things said it was, it was fun. Um, a lot of the banter was good. Uh, Jonathan Majors was a good villain. I liked that he was sinister without being loud and overbearing in, in a similar vibe to Darth Vader in a lot of ways where he doesn't have to shout at you. You just know he, he will just straight up say, I am just going to kill you and you believe him. <laughs> right and and that works well whether it will continue to work depends on a lot of things but most especially whether the various lawsuits that have come up against Jonathan Majors actually have merit whether he's convicted of the charges that he's been accused of those types of things are going to be an issue <laughs> uh, apparently he was very good in Loki which is and season two of that show is coming out in October. So Marvel's hanging a lot on the character of Kang and Jonathan Major's portrayal of Kang. Now, that said, if Majors is convicted, I have no doubt Marvel will drop him like nothing. They'll they'll uh, try try to solve the the Kang problem in a different way, but they have an easy out, right? They showed at the end, one of the end credit scenes, the Council of Kangs, where they've got every possible Kang in the, in the multiverse coming together to do stuff. And they showed Kangs in various alien forms and all sorts of stuff. They could recast Kang and just not mention it, right? They did that with uh, the character of Rhodey. 
They replaced, was it Terrence Howard with Don Cheadle? Um, and nobody made commented, nobody, they just, that was just how it went. Okay, great. They could do that with Kang. I don't know if, if the actor they get can pull off that same sort of sinister, but a little, I'm going to say a little goofy. But definitely that sort of uh, range between the the scary sinister to the a, a little bit perhaps unhinged <laughs> that like you got it with uh, he who remains at the end of Loki. So I'm not told I'm not really concerned about the uh, about Jonathan Majors whether he is still able to do the role or not. I am concerned with whatever actor they bring in will he be able to continue that role. Right, and said it's it's not going to be hard. Heck, in Loki, they had one of Loki's variants was a woman. One was an alligator. Um, obviously, you had a number of Tom Hiddleston variants. You know, it was a big black guy. One was a young kid. One was, um, you know, old man. You could deal with all of that and be fine. I'm excited to see what happens with Kang. This is sort of a, a nice reintroduction to the threat of Kang the Conqueror, but we'll kind of see where it goes. And, I, and overall, not a bad, it was a safe introduction. And I never really felt that there were any serious stakes in Quantumania. I guess I look forward to seeing how, how the Kang story progresses. And... Whether it actually progresses with uh, Scott or not is a different story. Or hope, for that matter. Will Ant-Man and the Wasp continue to fight Kang going forward? Anyway, that's that's been my really late movie review of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. It was... I said it was a fun movie. Um, it's not great. It's a great one to just turn your brain off, grab some popcorn, and en enjoy the pretty colors. I guess we'll uh, move on to the next one. I hope to see you next week with whatever I talk about next. I don't know. I've got a list. I haven't picked one yet. But uh, until next time, be excellent to each other. Remember to like the video or rate it or wherever you're, you're hearing this. Subscribe. All You know, all the good stuff. And this is Music Free Gaming signing off.